0: Coaches, how are you? This is Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. Welcome to Episode Forty Three. Today we have Coach Danny Miles. Coach Miles has been the Oregon Institute of Technology Owls men's basketball coach for forty-five years, and is one of the four winniest coaches in the nation, having reached his one thousandth win on February first, two thousand fourteen. Coach Miles' accomplishments are impressive, including three times NEI National Basketball Coach of the Year, 2004, 2008, 2012. He was inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018. National Association of Basketball Coaches Coach of the Year 2012. National winner of NEI's Champion of Character Award for All Sports in 2009. A.T. Slats Gill All Sports Coach of the Year 2004. DNA Award at the Oregon Sports Award Show, 2013. Guardians of the Game Pillar Award for advocacy from the National Association of Basketball Coaches in 2013. Three times NEI National Championship. He received the Coach Wood and Keys to Life Award at the Athletes in Action Legends of the Hardwood Breakfast, 2015, held each year during the Final Four. Mr. Miles is native to Southern Oregon and is an alumnus of Southern Oregon University. In 2005, he was a recipient of the Distinguished Alumnus Award at a dinner held in his honor. He is a charter member of the SOU and the City of Medford's Hall of Fame for his outstanding athletic fortunes. Coach Miles has coached 10 summer clinics in France as well has held clinics in Australia and China. In 2010, Miles participated in the Athletes in Action as a staff member traveling throughout Kenya and Rwanda, Africa, where they hosted basketball clinics. In August 2011, he was selected as the head clinician for AIA, having coached the national coaches of Rwanda, as well as the top men's and women's players from East African nation. Having grown up in Medford, Coach Miles is looking forward to returning to his roots and settling nearby with his wife, Judy. <clears throat> He is the fourth most winningest coach in college basketball history at Oregon Tech, the last three-letter varsity athlete at Southern Oregon, and now the 70 year old is the head athletic director at Cascade Christian High School. Miles has been serving as the school's assistant AD since April of 2016. He's still only part-time, but now is the head man after former athletic director Dave Fennell took a position as the advancement director. They said I can come and go... When I want, I try to be fair with them also, and I appreciate the opportunity. As I told them, anytime they want to get a real full time person in, I could leave tomorrow. I'll try to do the best I can and see what happens, he said. <clears throat> the new role for Miles isn't all that different from what he's already been doing. It centers on mentoring coaches and student athletes. The best way to be associated with young people is in the situation I'm in now, rather than sitting at home or being retired, Miles said. As head athletic director, Miles has already been hard at work. On Monday, the efforts from him and the rest of the Cascade staff paid off. Starting in 2019, Challengers Athletics will be in a new conference. Miles said Cascade Christian was originally looking to go into the Skyline Conference, a jump from 3A to 4A, and also a jump in competition, but wanting to stay in the same league as St. Mary's to keep the rivalry in place. Both teams were join the newly created 3A Umpqua River Conference. Coaches, I just want to tell you, it's, uh, yeah, I'm so excited to have Coach Miles on. Uh, I have all his videos and tapes. He ran an unbelievable system at Oregon Tech. Um, uh, Really, what I got from him was uh, his drills. He has specific drills that he uses. He actually reminds me of the great Ralph Miller from Oregon State, old-time coach. Um, Unselfishness, uh, team play, And he has so much success. And another thing that I got from him was his VPS system, his value point system, uh, that I think everybody should have. Uh, But you're going to get a treat from hearing Coach Miles and his journey as a coach and what he's doing now to mentor other coaches. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Danny Miles. Coaches, how are you? Hey, make sure to check out my friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. They were a main sponsor of my Legends Clinic last year, and I got to see in person why the Dr. Dish is undoubtedly the best shooting machine on the market. I'm super excited to get one in my program here soon. As a matter of fact, it's already in the process of being ordered. The technology and versatility of the machine are unmatched. Make sure to check out their product lineup and their new Dr. Dish CT machine on their website at drdishbasketball.com. And follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Mention this podcast and you can save $300 extra on your next Dr. Dr. Dish purchase. Get one soon. This is Coach Kevin Furtado of the Championship Vision Podcast. Hey
1: coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball. And you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at DrDishBasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at Ball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. Kevin?
0: Coach Miles, how are you? Good. Hey, this is great. Yeah, hey, I, I feel like this is a major accomplishment. This is, I know it's tough to get on. <laughs> oh, it's for,
1: me, for me, it's a real big one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, I started the podcast and I, I tell you, I, I tell you why I kind of started it, but um, it was just to kind of pick the brains of coaching friends of mine. And then I, you know, then, then I, then I started to kind of branch out and really try to, Try to get coaches that have uh, been successful at the high school and college level. It's amazing how many. Right, well,
1: uh, yeah, it- I'd be more than happy to.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you joining the podcast. I know you're a busy guy, uh, I- and I- I've really, I really studied, you know, your career and everything. And I tell you what, I love is how you kind of got in the coaching when you first started Oregon Tech. And originally, you were only planning to coach for two to three years. How did that kind of develop into what it did?
1: Well, actually, uh, you know, I wanted to be a coach uh, since I was probably 6th oh, grade, 7th uh, grade. You know, I really admired my coach. My dad passed away when I was 23, and the two guys that kind of became my surrogate fathers were my grade school coaches, also an American Legion coach, and then uh, I had a ninth grade coach that, and, uh, I was actually asked to be my assistant if I if I'd come back to Southern Oregon University and coach, and I was offered that one time. I was going to get them as assistants. So, but coaching, you know, was a, a big deal to me. But uh, when I was uh, actually I, I I wanted to be a D one football coach or baseball coach. I started in three sports as a freshman at Southern Oregon. I had originally gone to Oregon State on a baseball scholarship and was going to play football too, and then had a toboggan accident because of that accident and I transferred to Southern Oregon. And, uh, and so, uh, my freshman year started all three sports as a shortstop point guard and quarterback. And then it overlaps so much football. I came out uh, like three weeks late and baseball. I was late getting out for baseball. And so after that first year, I, I just, I played two sports, uh, football and baseball. And then, uh, when I went into high school, uh, I coached two years in high school and uh, at the high school level, I was the first year I was assistant in uh, three sports and, and the freshman, I coach freshman basketball. And then uh, the next year I was had baseball coach in Bend, Oregon. And in uh, the following year, I was uh, asked by Oregon tech if I'd like to come in and I was 23 years old, when I got offered the job to be an assistant in all three sports. And that's kind of been, was pretty good for me because I, I, played uh, three sports in college and that opened the door for me and I thought I was only going to be at Oregon Tech uh, for two or three years and I I didn't really the community wasn't it was a little bit colder and although it was only 70 miles from where I went to uh, was born and raised in Medford Oregon uh, I thought I'd only be there for two or three years and and uh, uh, our first year was uh, really a tough, tough year. I was assistant all three sports. We went 0-9 in football, although we played UNLV in Nevada, Reno when we were a very small school. So it was a tough schedule. And then we were 1-21 in basketball and 3-23 in baseball. And I'd always been on winning teams. It was a very difficult first year, but I looked back at it, it was probably the best uh, situation I could have been in because I got to find out how it was to be on the other end of the uh, you know, uh, you know, the penthouse to the outhouse type thing. And learned a lot about kids that year. And, and then my second year, I, I was, the uh, 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 coach left and I became the head basketball and head baseball coach and <clears throat> Stayed as an assistant football coach, offensive coordinator the next year and stayed in uh, all three of those sports for 13. Well, actually baseball for nine years and then uh, football uh, 13 years. And then, uh, got into you know straight basketball back in those early days in the early '70s, uh, you had to usually had to coach another sport like being a sister sure. whatever. So that's kind of why I got into it. And then nobody wanted to be the baseball coach, and I was from a baseball family, and my dad had been an ex-pro player. My three boys played D one baseball, and I had gone to Oregon State on a baseball scholarship. So uh, baseball was big to me. But um, it got it was pretty cold here in the spring, and uh, baseball. Wasn't a lot of fun. It was really cold at that time of year, <laughs> so I uh, inside it was a lot warmer. So I decided to stay at basketball and and just kind of happened that way.
0: Yeah, and I really want to get because you your program, and that that's what I I want my listeners to kind of really get out of this is how do you build a program that I think you're a master of. Building culture, building a program you've been there forty you were there forty years coach, and that's unbelievable Actually, how forty five years okay yeah. <laughs> you know it's funny. I just spoke with a high school coach out of New Jersey. He was at the same school years is that rare or what i mean yeah, 40, high school yeah um uh, that's tremendous loyalty hey tell me about first of all i love the nickname of the school of the organ is, is the Hustling owls i want to change that actually i want to adopt that over here to my school i love that when it's on the jersey how did that how did that get created there on your jerseys i love that
1: well actually you know i took over we, we were kind of a, uh, a baby blue color and i changed the colors and changed the I changed the name of the team to Hustle and Owls. I didn't ask anybody about it. I just, uh, ah, you just did it. I just did it. And, <laughs> and we changed, you know, which yeah, bench we sat <laughs> on. And that first year we should, could have shot a cannon in the gym, and not hit anybody. Uh, and, and so, but by year three, we're at standing room, only 2,200, 2,400 a game. And, uh, but Hustle and Owls really took off. They still use it. Uh, we were considered one of the top nicknames in the country. And, and, uh, but one thing uh, I wanted. Uh, one thing I found out. I I was lucky enough in high school. Uh, I played at a high school in Medford, Oregon, where, where Kyle Singler went to Medford, and uh,
0: okay, sure. Uh, the
1: Fosbury flop. Uh, Dick Fosbury was on our football team. He was a sophomore when I was a senior. We were rated third in the nation my senior year, and we had uh, like nine thousand people every game. And I had three guys that played in the NFL uh, later on uh, on the same high school teams, and so. I played in a really uh, a great situation, but I I found out playing at Oregon, uh, coaching Oregon Tech that first year that there were some kids. You know, we're playing UNLV and uh, Nevada Reno with 195 pound uh, defensive nose guards and stuff. Uh, we started 13 freshmen who got pounded at like 40 to nothing, 56 to nothing. But uh, I really saw a lot of character in those kids. You know, they got uh, pounded and and uh, but stood in there and just battled their tails off. So. I came up with the term uh, being an Oregon Tech guy. And I when I, I decided after that year, if, if I'm going to be an Oregon Tech guy, uh, I'm going to recruit Oregon Tech guys. And they had to be guys of character and guys that play hard and get on the floor and and uh, do that type of thing. So that's kind of the hustle now thing. Oregon Tech guy is kind of the same thing. And uh, like I said, we changed color uniforms. And, and then uh, a couple of things. I wanted to be the best team in the country getting back on defense. Uh, you know, after we scored, I want to get back. Nobody got a, got a breakaway on us. And there's some things like that we could do. We could out-hustle everybody. X and O-wise, I was still, you know, I, had, I was a ninth-grade coach and, and uh, a grade school coach one year. And, and so my background, uh, and I was an assistant coach on a 121 basketball team. But uh, that first year, we won 11, then we won 14, then we won 25. 24, and then we won 25, and we got it going and started filling the place. And, and, uh, but, uh, the Oregon Tech guy, the Hustle Now thing was uh, really important to kind of get our, our program where we want wanted to go.
0: Yeah. It's really an identity, right, coach? I mean, I mean, it's so important. I, I don't know why, you know, programs don't do that more. Um, I'm actually going to try to steal that. Don't, don't take offense to that I'm going to try to steal that for my program. I just love that. Um, it's kind of like the running rebels, but I, I still like the hustling owls. Um, we're the Titans. Oh yeah. So I'm not sure if that sounds as good though, coach. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, um, we're going to talk a lot about, cause I have all your videos, coach. I have your book. I have read it two or three times, to be honest with you. Um, I love your system. Uh, matter of fact, um, I also have studied coach Ralph Miller, which I guess it says a little bit about how old I am, but. You guys are so similar in your styles of play, and I think, I think you guys and even Coach, even Coach Ralph Miller are, are to me kind of the unknown soldiers. Your average person doesn't know anything about you guys, but you're really, the, you're the best. You know, you're, you're just excellent teachers of the game, tacticians, and you grind it out. You're a grinded out coach. Do you feel like small college coaches don't get enough respect? Well, you know, first, uh,
1: if I could answer the first. Part about Ralph Miller. Uh, he was coaching when I first got my job, and uh, I went up and spent three hours with him uh, a week after I got the job, and I'd never met him before. Sat down with him, like I said, for quite a while, and I remember he told me one time uh, while I was there, he said, "You know, there's only been a couple guys ever been, been that could throw the bounce pass, and that was Bob Cousy and Ralph Miller." And uh, <laughs> so I got kind of kicked out of that. And and basically, we was saying a lot of guys try to throw the bounce pass when they're going full speed to another guy's going full speed. And a lot of times he told me, you know, the balling's up in the drinking fountain someplace, you know, and, and uh, but he had some, uh, he had a three lane rush and wide figure eight that he ran that uh, I stole from him. And, uh, right. I thought, uh, those two drills, we used to do those uh, 16 minutes a day, uh, every practice. And we were one of the best teams in the country, not turning the ball over it was great conditioner. And, and, uh, Uh, all our, we always did all. We didn't run after practice. We did all our running during the drills. We finished up with pride drill, which was a real kind of a perfect play type thing. And then getting back on defense and the quicker, harder the kids worked, the quicker they got done. And it wasn't really a, uh, like a suicides or anything like that. It was part of uh, what we do, but, uh, Ralph Miller, you know, uh, was an inspiration to me and, and especially taking care of the basketball and, uh, and, and then, uh, your, your, your. See, your second, your other, your question was. Let me, if you can get that to me again.
0: Uh, you asked about. Yes, it, was, it it was. Uh, it, I just like your your systems of play. Okay. Are just very, very similar, and that is the one thing that kind of I kind of refreshed my memory again on what you guys really emphasis. It, it it is about passing, but you mentioned some today. I was watching. One of your videos again. It was on touches. Everybody should be touching the ball, and that is today. That is not being taught today, Coach. I think it's so selfish game now with the teams like the Warriors, things like that. I love that that you wanted everybody to touch the ball almost on every possession. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the way we ran our break is you know a lot like uh, Roy Williams' break, and uh, we called ours the post lane break, but. uh, we, we'd like to run our, our big down the floor as hard as he can to the net. We'd have our wings run the uh, two and three or the outside lanes. And then let sure, our sure. four man take the ball out and our four man, we wanted more of a, a point forward type guy. And, uh, and then our point guard, we run the bubble and we try to score within four seconds after a made shot. So we tried to run all the time. And then we went from uh, that into, you know, maybe a little bit of a secondary action, but, what we wanted to do is score early or skate score late in the possession. And one thing about the uh, post lane break, if we just got the ball down floor and reversed it quickly, uh, we'd get everybody to be touching the ball pretty much, you know, the five or the big man. Uh, uh, I mean, the four man takes it out. One man's touching it. You get the ball, the wing to the two, you swing it back to the to one to the f- uh, four, back to the three, and then maybe inside of the post, uh, And so people are touching in the first seven, eight seconds. And uh, I thought the kids worked much harder if they got at least a a touch every once in a while. And, uh, and then we went our offense, but our our philosophy was to score early in the break and try to run at all times. If We can't get it then get some touches. And I know in the national championship game in 2012, we were playing Raleigh Massimino's team, uh, which is Northwood, Florida. And they had a terrific team. They were like 33 and two. And, and first half was 1918. We were down, but we tried to go too much uh, too much one-on-one. Uh, they had a little point guard 5-5 and then the national player of the year uh, was uh, the other guard and they had three guys who wanted to play pro ball six eight, six nine, from 6 uh, kids from overseas. They were all good players. And, uh, you know, we tried to go one-on-one with them and, and you know, we didn't want them to but they, they did too much, got caught up in the TV game, that type of thing, and Second half, it, <laughs> second half, I told I said, guys, I'll promise you if you get touches, uh, we can win this game. We'll win a national championship. And second half, we first half we averaged about two and a half touches, three touches, and second half we averaged four and a half to five, and we scored forty six points and won the game by seventeen. And again, uh, you know what a lot of young coaches don't understand. Sometimes you think you, to score a lot, yeah, you're going to have to get down and shoot the ball in the first, second pass, that type of thing. But you can get a lot of layups, and I've always felt after three or four passes somebody on the other team is going to break down defensively. And, and, uh, so that was our philosophy that we had for uh, many years and I think it really helped us.
0: Yeah. And I love the analytics there. Um, we're going to talk about your VPS system that I use here as well. Um, I mean, do do you think it's important to keep track of touches? I mean, I I think there's something to that. Yeah. I, well,
1: you know, in that game, for example, I, I, I wanted uh, after the game was over. I wanted to look at it and see what our touches were, and and you know we scored eighteen, and then we scored forty forty six, and uh, we had twice as many touches pretty much uh, in the second <laughs> half. And uh, so, um, I I you know again it's something I usually don't really look at that much, but I know the kids really bought into it too. They they learned that if we did that, that uh, one of their defensive guys are going to become a coward within about. The fourth pass. Most everybody plays great defense for three passes, but you get into the fourth, sure. fourth, fifth, sixth pass, then somebody's going to break open.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, and just to tell a little bit about how I believe in that. This year, I have I have a great sophomore player. I coach girls um, at a small school. I'm a small coach. I'm a small time coach. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're kind of building a program here, but she's a fabulous player. And the rest of my kids are just average players. And then early on in the season, coach, we set a lot of a lot of ball screens for her and so forth to try to get her some quick shots. That did not work. But it did not work until we went to more of a five out passing cut motion, more of what we call a read and react. And everybody was touching the ball. Everybody was moving. She started to score more. I mean, yeah, that's that to me. That's that's the essence of basketball, right? Yeah,
1: it is, you know. And and uh, like I said, when you mentioned Ralph Miller, they they really pass the ball. Uh, you know, I have, you know, like a lot of there's a lot of clinics where kids go to learn to dribble the ball. Well, you know, I I yeah. don't have a rule even in college. Uh, you know, uh, you know our guys and college guys can from the top of the key uh, cross over and take one dribble and get to the rim. You know, and and I always guys in our level they're six six or bigger. I always said, well. Basically, you only need one dribble. You shouldn't use more than one dribble, uh and you know, uh unless you tell me and tell me why you need to use more than one dribble. I'm talking about our bigger kids, and uh they really couldn't tell me very often. So, so what I'm saying, I guess, is you can go to these camps and learn how to dribble and through your legs and around your back and all that stuff. But you need to learn to pass and and you know have uh, be able to lead people in the pass, be able to pass on the run. And that's what the white figure eight and three-lane rush are so good at. You have to, in, in just split seconds, you have to catch and either, you know, you don't want the ball ever to hit the floor in this drill. And and if you catch and there's a guy 15 feet from the basket, you might have to throw a bullet pass. So if he's uh, 30 feet from the basket, you might have to hang it out for him. And uh, to do the drill, you have to do that in split seconds. So that kind of uh, drill, those kind of drills and stuff at a camp, I think are much better uh, – for, for kids than, than learning how to dribble. Because if you have some kid, every time he catches, it, he goes through his legs around his back five times, and, then, you know, he's going to slow down the offense and hurt the offense. And and so we've already, we really want to be good passing the ball.
0: Yes, and it's it's an undertaught skill. It's, it's a lost art, right? <laughs> I mean, passing. I mean, yeah. um, and how do you do that? Because I'm a believer in – not just two hand i teach even my young kids how to pass with the outside hand yeah i mean i, I and i i think that's they need to do that right yeah, i think
1: that's really good you know you, one thing you you watch if you really start breaking down and watching people like like the one of the things the dip and shooting you know a lot of people a lot of girls especially are taught you know get the ball you know and, and they they you watch them shoot and they they put the ball up kind of uh almost to their shoulders and they shoot from there and all good right. shoot i don't care who it is if it's LeBron or or whoever when they catch the ball they're dipping the ball down to uh, pretty much their waist every time they shoot and uh so uh and like you said on the passing you you have to pass with your outside hand many times sometimes you can uh, reverse the ball with just a direct uh chest pass type thing but uh some of the times you have to go with your uh uh, p- uh pass with a hand away from the defense two handed pass and uh but those are skills you should teach. And, uh, uh, some people don't do that, but the, uh, again, passing drills are very important. And, and you talk about passing the ball, to post, it's, it's, uh, some guys can't do it. We had one guy, uh, I mentioned in my VPS, uh, video, he was a heck of a player. And I always, I use my VPS and then, uh, bring the kids in before, after our nine scrimmages and we sit down and talk about their strengths and weaknesses. And, at that time, he, was, he had 13 assists, 34 turnovers in, in the nine scrimmages, and everything else was good. Very good shooter, great defender, great kid. And I said, if you just turn that around, uh, you're a great player for us. He ended up being a 0. .94 in those scrimmages. He ended up playing 160 for me um, in my VPS system, and was a great player. But what I told him, "Hey, you don't enter the ball very well in the post. You don't need to. We have other guys who can do that. You just make the basic pass. Don't try to thread the needle." just keep the ball moving and uh, and, you know, keep getting better, try to get, be a better passer and stuff. But, uh, but some kids can't enter the ball to post. It's just like a lot of people put their high posts or, uh, you know, the high posts of their big guy that's uh, can't catch or pass. And that's not, I always put uh, one of my best ball landers, if not my best ball lander, in the top of the zone and uh, get the ball to him and make him create. So, uh, you know, passing the ball is so important and you need to have the right people passing.
0: Yes. And it's not only the pass coach, I'm finding out that it's, it's the pivot work, Um, you know, how to angle your body with, with your feet, you know what I'm saying? to deliver that low pass into the post Uh, it's also people learning how to catch at the girls level, girls can't catch. So we got to spend a lot of time on that. And right now, you're you're doing a lot of work. Uh, I know you're AD at Cascade Christian. Tell us about that, and also you're still doing a lot of camps, Coach. You're still coaching it up. Yeah, aren't I'm, you? Uh,
1: in fact, I'm going to Guatemala here with uh, uh, the coach that uh, took over for me, uh, Justin Parnell, who just took our our team to the finals in, in, in NEI and Division Two, lost to Spring Arbor in the final game, but had a great year. And we're going down I think to three Texas A&M players and some other uh, with athletes in action for, for about six days here uh, pretty soon. And then I do quite a few clinics around, uh, around here. And I also, I'm right now I'm working with uh, Monday nights. I just work with some, uh, some of the kids that are already uh, one kid is going to BYU. Uh, that's a walk on wants to get good enough, maybe to be able to just be on the team. And another kid is a very good sophomore here and, met for Oregon, another, uh, another kid is, uh, you know, uh, c- coming back from college going to work with him on Monday. So I just work individually with kids. And, and
0: uh, that way I can stay in the game. It's still a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and tell us about what do you think about youth development? I you know you've been coaching a long time. What What has changed in players? I know kids are playing more. Are they putting the time in the gym, working on individuals' skills? What what's the difference? What what do you see nowadays as compared to maybe when you first started? Well, I,
1: I think it's starting, you know, to come back. I know Jerry Colangelo and when he took over the the Olympic team, uh, and all those when they, those guys got together, they wanted to get it swinging back. It used to be the, all the good kids would go to camps, and they were just pretty much shooting threes and dunking but I think it's swung back around now where their kids are really good some good coaching. Uh, and, you know, the, the kids are, uh, I don't like uh, kids just going to one sport. I, I love three sport athletes, um, old school. I think they uh, should yeah. play. I don't think they know which is their best sport a lot of times. And But uh, it's very difficult now for kids because I think it's, uh, you know, they're getting, if they're a good athlete, they're getting pulled, you know, to be the quarterback in football and be the point guard and, and be the shortstop and baseball different, you know, something like that. And they got American Legion ball or possibly or whatever in the summer. And they're, they got seven on seven. They got to be with the basketball team where they're not going to be on the team if they don't go to certain camps. And I think it's, I think it's very difficult. Yeah, sure. And, uh, but kids, uh, you know, as far as weight training and all that stuff, they're doing more than they ever did in the old days. In fact, when I grew up, uh, lifting weights, uh, make you muscle bound for, you know, like a sport like basketball or baseball. And that's what we were told. And, it wasn't until uh, many years later, where uh, you know, the, you know, the weights already became when they started focusing on the kind of weights you should use. You know, are so beneficial, of course. But you know, it's it's a different thing now. I think uh, there's a lot of great kids that just play their tail off and listen. Yes or no, sir. Or just just uh, love those kind of guys and and they're like I said, Oregon Tech guys. We and we use that term. And but but I think it's uh, yeah, they're just. Uh, Uh, it's different and I think these kids are working awful hard you know they they put a lot putting a lot of time in and and uh, you know like the difference when I you know at the season was over before you know you go to another sport and then another sport and you wouldn't pretty much touch a basketball for quite a while and uh, it's different now so uh, lots, lots of changes
0: yeah and it's just different I think kids um you know, we grew up. You know, even though I'm younger than you, we grew up. We didn't grow up with AAU. We grew up with going to the parks. <laughs> you know, just 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 playing against people, just on our own. I think there's there's a lot of advantages to that, but I guess there's also advantages on playing organized it, ball. Do you see that as an issue now? Where the old old days, man, it was, it was you went into the park and you tried to play against people. Where nowadays, man, it's everything yeah, I organized. Think been
1: three. You know, back when the people of color couldn't play ball, uh, and then you go to the next level where uh, young women, women couldn't play ball until you know. Our, my granddaughters, my daughters have had an opportunity to play, but girls I grew up with never had an opportunity to play. You know, and, uh, and it wasn't until after the '70s, and then when Title IX came in, that uh, our our kids that were uh, females had an opportunity to uh, you know play like the guys. And uh, I think right now it's the worst one of the worst times ever, because if you're not affluent anymore, you can't go to camps. Uh, you can't, you know, I, I see 70 to 75% yeah. of the kids uh, quitting from what I understand. are quitting uh, organized sports by the time they're 13 years old. You take a single parent now whose daughter plays softball. It costs in the summer, maybe three or $4,000 or baseball or whatever. And so all these travel teams are starting when they're seven, eight, nine, ten years old and kids are left left out i think when i was growing up to no, no kid was left out you could uh, people that find even in schools now they'll find a way for the kids to play during the season get their insurance or get a pair of shoes or get a mitt for them or whatever now is between the last game of the season the first practice the next year the affluent kids are getting to play and the poor kids uh, aren't getting that six months of play and and they're they're losing out they're falling behind the other kids and I think that's uh, a real sad thing that's going on. Uh, personally, I just, I just think uh, we're losing a lot of kids that uh, could be playing but uh, can't afford to play anymore.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot. Of, matter of fact, one of my assistant coaches, uh, head of the girls and boys club, out here, and we've been talking and so forth, trying to collaborate on our schools and also working with the boys and girls clubs because he deals with kids just like that 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 are struggling and so forth and they need opportunities just like everybody else. Um, and I think that mentorship is needed. Well, I, don't you think? I
1: just think, you know, like in our, our situation here, we had uh, even, you know uh, uh, the Dick Fosbury who wasn't a very good football player as a sophomore, but he became a world champion in the high jump because he had programs that he could stick with in summer and do all these AU things. But everybody Everybody was involved. They had summer track meets and things that everybody got to do. And and uh, uh, I just think there's a lot of kids who are on the borderline or actually many of them are too small to maybe make, you know, the seventh grade team or the eighth grade team. But if they could do to have a chance to play, you know, all of a sudden they'll develop and be very good high school players or possibly college players. But
0: I think we're losing – a lot of kids are losing out. Yeah we just got to get back just to the joy of playing basketball. I mean, you know, just for the fun of it. Um, I, I think that's missing big time with kids. Um, uh, but a lot, that's a lot of the parents yeah. we, well, we have to kind of educate. I a had a situation after um, had
1: basketball camp in, at Oregon tech every year. And i take all the, uh, usually about 25 basketballs. And I drive around town after the season, you know, was over and uh, the camps were over and I just, I go by outdoor courts and found a couple of kids out there shooting. I give them basketballs and my last five or six years, I couldn't find anybody to give a ball to, you know, and, and so they're not playing on their own. And mm. I, I think playing on their own is, you know, very important. Or playing three on three or going down in the parks and playing. It's, uh, uh, but everything kind of has to be organized now. And, but one of the problems too, I'm finding is, is a lot of the gyms are locked up, a lot of the outdoor fields, are locked up where kids can't get on the fields because of liability and stuff. And that's different. We used to be able to get on the fields all the time. And now it's uh, a lot of stuff's locked up on. them.
0: Yeah, we, we, as uh, adults and coaches, I mean, we got to step it up. We got to do more things for the kids without it being a cost involved, just to try to get that love and that passion Because I think eventually it's going to affect our, our game and so forth eventually right now, everything's okay. But eventually I think, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of kids are just losing out the opportunity just to play and, and, and be mentored coach. Tell me about your, your hall of fame, in 2018, you were nominated for the hall of fame. You mentioned something. You said only three small college coaches are in the college hall of fame. What, what did you mean by well, that? Uh, I thought that was, that was an interesting well, statement. I-
1: I, I always thought, you know, I, I was so surprised when I got the call from Jim Haney that I was getting put in the collegiate basketball hall of fame. <laughs> I think there's only, uh, Oh, there's big house Gaines and a couple other coaches. Uh, um, uh, I can't remember the other coach John Wooden was his first couple of years, you know, at Indiana state, that was a considered a small college at that time. Uh-huh. But I, what well, was really great about, it. I mean, it was an unbelievable honor and I, uh, uh I couldn't believe it but I I I just hope it opens the doors for many many others down the road here and and uh to be put in that hall of fame so I was like I said I was very honored to be picked but it was uh hopefully it'll help help other coaches have that opportunity
0: yes and and you you got your 1000th win on February 1st 2014 I know you I know you still remember that day I'm sure um what did this reveal about you and your career? Well,
1: one thing is kind of interesting. My, I know my son, one of my boys, a couple of my boys, uh, came the week before, and we didn't get it then. Then on the road trip, we lost the, on the Friday night. We end up winning on a Saturday night in Salem, Oregon, against Corbin University, and and uh, the thousandth win. But uh, well, you know, it, it was. I didn't really realize until about win 800 or 750 or whatever, then that, you know, the uh, Adolph Rupp had the record back at that time. And then Dean Smith had it and then Harry Statham passed him. And and then Harry was a friend of mine at at McKendree uh, college. And he, he ended up winning, just retiring this year, 1122 wins and, and, uh, but winning a thousand, you know, you know, not too many people have done that. And, and, uh, at that time, just the, I was only the second one. And, and, um, it was pretty special because I, you, you don't get into coaching to, you know, I, all I want to do is be respected by my peers and, and, uh, have kids have, a, uh, look back at having a great time when they played in our program. And if we could win a, three or four uh, conference championships and maybe go to the nationals a few times, uh, that would be, you know, a great career and we we were really blessed and when we won three national championships, got five final fours and and uh that was special. So uh, I've been very blessed that way. But uh it you know like I said it's you know, I didn't realize I'd coach this long and that's you know, just the way it worked out.
0: Yeah, and I, I want you to talk about uh another great quote you have and I um I didn't I think there's so many small college coaches out there and it's, it's even small that, that don't get opportunities maybe at the higher level. I think the best coaches and I've been to a lot of clinics are the NAIA division three, small high school coaches. I think I, I would listen to you guys forever and I do not want to listen to a top level, John Calipari, top level coach. I'm sure th- those guys are good guys, but I think you guys are the grinders, man. I have a lot of respect for you guys, and um, I appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, tell me about why why the small college coach doesn't get the opportunities like it at a Georgia, <laughs> I mean where I live, or a Kentucky, not a Kentucky, but maybe Missouri, places like that. Why are why are, why is that well, not you know, happening?
1: I, I think. Uh, there's so much money in it now. I think, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of the guys get into assistant coaching positions, and then, you know, a guy moves up and they move in or whatever. And, and uh, I, I've seen some small, you know, like Bull Ryan is a great example. He won four national championships at That's great. Uh, Wisconsin, and I love- or whatever. And, uh, you know he moves into major college, does real well. And, uh, there's Jim, uh or uh, coach Bayline from, uh, uh, same thing. He went to sm- a small college coach and, yes. and John Kress, uh, he, he got put in the hall of fame with me, uh, this past year. Yeah. And God he, and he was, uh, yeah, he had like 81, one eighty percent of his games at the NAI level and moved right into division one. And, and he ended up beating North Carolina twice one year and, and kept the record going into major college level. There's a lot of tremendous coaches. I know when I was growing up, uh, when I was young uh, uh, there's coaches like uh, Dick Bennett you know and and you know guys guys uh, like sure. that uh, there was Ken Anderson in the Wisconsin schools and, and over here uh, there was guys like uh, Dean Nicholson and the guys that won a lot of ball games are great coaches and there's no question those guys could coach at the division one level and do a great job and and it's a matter of getting the opportunity what happens a lot of times though a I A coach or small college coach will they'll get a job but they'll get a, co- a job at a place that's never won because they you know every three or four years they fire the coach and they don't have facilities and and exactly. so they they go to the place and they just right. uh, don't have the opportunity but uh, the, the thing about small college coaches and when you talk to guys that are in major college like Kelvin Sampson is a friend of mine too you know he coached Montana Tech we coach against each other but you know, sure. He drove the vans, and we drove the vans through snow and everything else, and we're we're sweeping the gyms, and you know we're we have nine or, or twelve, fifteen guys in a van and drive at four in the morning. We've all done that, and and uh, but uh, I really appreciate the. I mean, I appreciate all coaches. because uh, you, they're doing a great job for a lot of people and and in those kids and stuff, and but uh, I have great great respect for small college coaches because they uh, they don't have the you know, support as far as facilities and all that kind of stuff that major college guys do. But coaching is not an easy job, and I don't care where you're at. It's it's uh it's it can be a lot of fun, but it can also be very difficult at times.
0: Yes, and I, I do want to add on. You mentioned in one of your podcasts uh, when you had it with uh breakthrough basketball. Um, you mentioned about. The, so much time you spent uh, in your coaching affected your personal life and then that's what led you to Christ tell me about that because I know I'm guilty of that uh, I mean tell tell, well, tell you know, us I had about a, that
1: a great wife and and uh and I had three three young boys and and just great family and i was i got hired at 23 uh and my first uh basketball coaching. I turned 25 just like a month before I uh, had my first game in college. So I was trying to make it my profession and uh, coaching football. I thought I, I, I thought I had a chance to go division one. And uh, at that time I wanted to be a division coach in football, basketball and or baseball, or, I mean, or baseball. And, and so I stayed with it for like nine, nine years, all three sports. And then I dropped out of the baseball and did the other two and, and, uh, but while doing that, uh, I wouldn't spend enough time at home and, and, uh, went through a divorce and it was a very difficult time for me. And, uh but, uh, from that, I, I, uh, I learned that I had to, uh, definitely, definitely change, uh, amount of hours I spend. And I never took uh after, after that, I never took a video home, uh, my last 31 years coaching and, uh. Um, I did my work at school, and tried to uh, get everything done, or very early, in the, go very early in the morning for, before the, you know, uh, uh, at times where I wouldn't be bothering, you know, anybody, and and so uh, uh, that, that made a difference, and I, I, I was very fortunate to uh, have a great wife now, and my ex-wife was a great person, we we're still very good friends, but I wasn't around enough, and so I learned, and and actually i i i had always i'd been a christian but i i uh i went to a funeral of uh one of my teammates in high school and i was i was hadn't wasn't born again and and uh wasn't a believer uh like I should be and sitting through that uh, uh he he had written his own eulogy that day and he named about ten guys here in Medford I wasn't one of them I was living Klamath Falls he named 10 guys first and last name made them promise to go see a man or woman of faith about their salvation. And I don't know if they ever got one of those guys, uh, that day, but they got me and, or he got me and I felt the Holy spirit. And within three months, I, I'd, I I'd, I'd made a commitment to my faith and to Jesus Christ. And, and I'll tell you that it was, it was, uh, uh, I think the most important day of my life. Uh, and you know, and just, uh, changed things. I just, uh, I think after that, I uh, uh, you know I just, I decided I was going to really enjoy road trips because I figured it might be any year, could be my last one. And I was going to really enjoy it. And I, I felt our kids played much better uh, uh, on the road after that. Cause it, usually the road trips are ones you lose, you know? And, and, uh, and I just, uh, just tried to try to really, uh, I wanted the kids to play hard. And I really felt like I lived it that way where if they played hard and ex- executed with enthusiasm that I could be uh, pleased after every ball game. And I, I just felt like during my last thir- uh, oh, 17 years is when this happened, I was 55 and I committed my life to Christ. And I thought those last uh, 15 years, whatever, uh, I, I don't think it was more than one or two games. I was disappointed in how, how it turned out, you know, cause we, we did what we're supposed to do. And, and uh, I was pleased with the kids and and, uh, we had a great run after that too. I know I I was very fortunate to uh, get the John Wooden Keys to Life award about three or four years ago. And I gave my testimony in front of a thousand people or so at the final four and kind of told the story. And, and we just happened to win three national championships after that and, and uh, had some really good things happen. I know Lorenzo Romar was there and you know, I'd known him from Athletes in Action before. And and uh, he said he'd had, you know, got cut in the NBA like two or three times. So it's not always, you know, uh, roses after you make a commitment like that. And I, and it just happened to work that way for, in my case, but, uh, but it was the best thing I could have ever done. And I'm, I'm really uh, pleased to be where I'm at. And I just, uh, and I just I think I want to. I want to stay in basketball in some way and working with kids and stuff to help help bring some of them maybe around to uh, make uh, Christ
0: worse in their lives too. Yes, and of course I'm 54, so that that sent a strong message to me. Yeah, I, was 50, I was 55 um, about. My... <laughs> um, and you don't realize sometimes. I, I don't even realize my age sometimes, and there's times when um you know you just got to reset your priorities right You I mean you got to know the why what's important and I know Donnie Boswick who I I think you know um really kind of helped me kind of guided me on his journey you guys have similar journeys um who coaches at Oklahoma yeah, Wesley. Donnie
1: real well in fact I heard his podcast after you'd called me there tonight night to be on yours and and uh he's a great man and a, a great man of God and and uh thing i've really appreciated is i've got to know a lot of people uh uh, i came to christ mainly because people i really respected uh ones uh they 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 were those kind of people and uh it wasn't really what they said is but it's how they lived their life and and uh and i was real lucky to have several coaches in our league here and and uh people i looked up to and uh that, that really helped me too and then i have a mentor uh uh george deems has played for the 49ers he was a high school teammate we we stay in touch about once a month and just uh i think every guy needs somebody to talk to sometimes and uh, and i think that helps uh everybody in this situation
0: and you're a coach are you still are you trying to mentor coaches now because i think that's needed in our profession big time just like i'm talking to you um is that is that one of your priorities? Because I think it's needed in our yeah, profession. Yeah, three days like after I
1: retired, I uh, and bought a place on the Rogue River, beautiful place over here in Medford. And, and three days later, I got a phone call, and uh, a young man called me up and asked me if I'd be interested in being being involved mentoring the coaches at a local Christian school and and uh, working individually individually with kids. And I, and I thought that was just perfect because I was after three days, I was uh, you know my big thing was. To, Figure out which garbage can to take out that week, and I needed to, needed to have something else going going on. Sure. And so I was really appreciated. The Cascade Christian High School asked me to do that, and and they they made me AD last year, but I don't. I'm tired of going to meetings and stuff. So I asked them if I could get back to what they originally hired me for, and and so what I'm doing yeah. now is I'm mentoring coaches, like you said, and and then uh, working individually with kids, and basically bring kids in the office if. You know, just talk to them about never show up an opponent, never show up a, a referee. You know, don't show up your own coach, you know, or coaches. And, and uh, if I find kids doing things uh, – weren't doing things right, maybe possibly in a game where – especially when coaches don't even notice something, uh, they don't see everything. And I try to help out in that way, and, and it's, it's it's gone pretty well.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's, that's needed. I mean, we need more. And on our program, we really – We talk a lot about um, culture and the core values. We talk a lot about body language on, you know, people are watching you. Little eyes in the stands are watching you and so forth. And I'm big on bench decorum and how you walk off the court. And we always try to represent with class. And I I know you did that with your program a lot, too. Do you feel like coaches are doing that enough with kind of the, uh, you know, people are watching you? Uh, make sure that you act with well, class. You know, it was interesting,
1: the other night. Uh, you know, I, 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 speak quite a bit places about, you know, uh, parents have a role. Coaches have a role. Referees have a role. You know, we can't run referees out of this game. I guess 17% of referees, a, a drop in referees this past year around the country. And, uh, because the abuse that yeah. they're given and we should, uh, revere those people. They're out there getting paid uh, very little compensation to, to run our games. And, and, uh, but it it's uh um i know uh in fact i had an ex-player he, he's got a son who's one of the top sophomores in the country big tall six ten kids can be a really good player and when i went to watch the, uh, his son play he, the dad came over and said well coach i'm sorry i i uh i probably didn't act real good in the in the in the uh, stands tonight and he did get a little bit uh over overbearing up there at times and and I told him, I said, you know, the thing that's important is you, you got to realize is, is, uh, one thing, if, if some coach comes to recruit your son, he should look across the gym and ask which one is, uh, you know, uh, Nate's, which one's Nate's uh, dad or mom. And, uh, the coach should not be able to notice you over there other than you're watching the game and stuff. And, and, uh, then the next game I saw him, he wouldn't know if, how, how he did in the stands. It was kind of funny, but, uh. You know, but you know, we have to be told that sometimes it can be parents or whatever. Sometimes yes. as a parent, we don't understand how we can embarrass the kids and things and, uh, by how we do things. And, and, uh, and so, uh, we all need to be told those things. I know that one thing that NAI does a great job of champions of character, but when you have a meeting for a whole bunch of parents and stuff to come to get some, uh, told some things that are very important about how to be a parent and things, uh, it's usually uh, the people that it's like preaching to the choir because usually the people that are, there are ones that don't need the help. It's the ones that aren't there. And that's who we've got to get to.
0: Coach. I love that. I mean, and after this is my 30th year of coaching, I think administrators and schools need to take control of their, their parents and stands. That That's, that's a big issue of mine. Uh, our parents are actually pretty good here. And but I see I, I go to games and try to scout. I can't sit in the stands. I mean, the the criticism, the body language, I just gotta go somewhere else. And we we just gotta do a better job as administrators, right? As ADs. Man, we gotta say, hey man, this is not how you act. I don't think we're doing enough for that.
1: Well, I, I think you know, there's some some things are happening too,
0: like coaches, for example. You have very
1: few coaches from the schools now most of the coaches are from outside i think the problem the difference between now and before was if you're the basketball coach back in the 70s or the 60s after the season's over you didn't have uh, spring ball you didn't have summer ball you didn't have fall ball you know you were usually an assistant some other sport and then when basketball came around you'd, you'd coach it but uh, nowadays you know coaches are getting run out because they're expected to Coach almost year round for very little pay, and uh, and it's just it's very very difficult, yeah. and that's why coaches are quitting. You know, they're the the wife's getting tired of the coach being gone year round for for a sport he's getting paid for for probably uh, three months out of the year, four months, and and uh, but you just see a whole different ball game now. You see parents coaching, and you see I mean there's some very good coaches that are aren't in the school, but it's not the same as having a coach in the school.
0: Yes, you got it. I think it's definitely changing. I see that a lot, but there's you're right though because there are great coaches there's that are that are working at the school as teachers that have what have nothing to do with coaching, <laughs> and you can't blame no. them. I mean, you better be a nut like me who's passionate that, and I'll I pretty much do it for free. Um, that I think these guys guys like me I think are rare a little bit because most coaches have to be paid, but um. I mean that's great wisdom. I I appreciate that. I appreciate everything you're sharing with us, Coach. Coach, can you my last question? Because I know I know you gotta you gotta move on. You got things you have to do. Is we're gonna go from we're gonna go from that to I want to know. I want the audience to know about your VPS because I really believe in that. And tell us how coaches can number one study it more, get the materials on it, and how they can add that to your their programs. Well, you know.
1: 45 years ago I when I played in college uh, you know that was back when Oscar Robertson and Jerry West and all that kind of uh, those guys and, and really what what they kept back then they kept points a game rebounds per game the assists weren't really kept very well the steals weren't kept uh, the stats you know uh, stats were a little bit shaky if you had a scorebook you're pretty lucky and that type of thing and and I, I felt that uh, I used to you know I played I was a pretty good defender too and and you know, as one of those guys in high school and, and in the college year I played, there's about nine points and six assists probably if they kept all that stuff. And, and, uh, but defensively, uh, you know, you weren't ever rewarded, uh, other than the coach says, Hey, that kid's a good defensive player. But what I wanted to do is, is, uh, I decided that I wanted to keep assists, steals, uh, charges, those kind of, uh, that's part of my hustle and al thing. And, uh, so really we were doing, started doing money ball before, uh, 20 years before money ball came out and we did it with basketball. And so I came up with a formula and, and it really worked out for me. I, I, uh, the first year, like I said, we were took over one win team and we won 11 then 14 and 25, but we, we, uh, we do a uh, nine scrimmages before our first game. And, uh, i keep the stats and then video it or or film it back in the old days and then go over it, go over the video. And if, you know, a kid drew a charge in the scrimmage and it was called a foul, I'd change it. So we'd already got a good look at those nine scrimmages. And we're trying to sell the kids on, you know, being efficient. And uh, we'd win a lot of ball games. And so uh, what, what we did, we took... Uh, I'll just go through it quickly here. We took points plus the rebounds, plus two times assists, plus two times recoveries. recoveries is a steal, a blocked shot, or a, a drawn charge. And we divided that by uh, two times uh, missed field goals, uh, and then uh, missed free throws, uh, two times turnovers, and two times fouls. And I came up with a system uh, where basically for boys basketball or college basketball and pro basketball, uh, anything over like a one seven five was uh great One five zero to one seven five was uh you know uh good and then one two five to one five oh was was uh you're gonna win you know uh, it's still ab- above average and then uh anything under a one one point zero or one zero zero to one two five was fair and then under a one was wasn't good and uh but what i was able to do is uh use that as a tool and uh and a lot of coaches who, who buy my VPS, they may do it the wrong way. And, and there's, uh, you know, I, uh, but what we found out was, you know, there's sometimes you have that kid who can beat everybody one-on-one uh, is can dunk and, and shoot threes and do all this kind of stuff. But he turns the ball over 10 times a game and people can't figure out why he's not in the game. Well, if he's not efficient, he's not helping. Him. If he doesn't play defense, he's not helping him. So, this helped me pick my starting lineups. It helped make my guys more efficient. I used a tool like I said to bring the kids in after practice um and and I could show them what they were, uh, why they didn't play that well that game and what they need to do different and uh, all the kids that were good basketball players loved it and what I found out was uh, if my guys played over a one three almost all my guys over a one three six end up being all conference, kind of all American kind of guys and uh uh and then also, after the nine scrimmages, usually it' come out one through twelve how our our players were were rated and uh it almost uh came out pretty close to exact and if we had some kids that weren't doing as well that uh, we felt could could make certain changes and you're not going to shoot the ball a lot better in but you can take better shots and but it it was really a good system for us, and we used it uh I used it all forty five years, and then I know uh uh, several uh, people uh, all over the country. We had a coach, I, I showed it to him over in Australia and, and I took his stats and and showed him uh, who should be playing as his pro team and he changed, made a couple changes in the lineup and they ended up winning the league after I left. But he's one of the guys that wrote in on my system uh, saying what a good system it was. And, and uh, I had a college coach who's in the final 64 right now, wanted to know why uh they couldn't beat this other team who happens to be in the 64 and and i went through his stats and stuff and told him his assist turnover ratio was the only thing different you're just good on defense but your assist turnovers, you need to get that to one five one point five to one and you'll be as good as they are and it turned out that way and and uh i know going to the national tournament one year uh we won the national championship i told her kids we're playing a team but they had actually just a little bit better uh, VPS than we did going in for the national championship. And I told our guys we had to make at least nine uh, three-pointers. That's what we average uh, in this game uh, to have a shot. And we, we uh, actually had 12-1 by nine points. Uh, another time I spoke at the final four on the value point system, I picked uh, who would win the first two games the first night. And then I got a whole bunch of calls the next night They want to know who was going to win the championship. And I picked that one too,
0: and stuff. But
1: but, it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> another time, you know, I think Detroit was playing the Lakers, and and I did the value points on it, and and I picked Detroit to win in four. They won in five. Lakers. Uh, uh, Detroit blew a six point lead with a minute to go, or they'd have won in four straight. So it's been, uh, it's really been good. I, all, I've also been able to compare my teams, like my three national championship teams, all played about around a 1.40 as a team and we gave up like right 1.02 1.04 you know defensively and and uh so it helped that way but there's a lot of people who bought my system through Breakthrough basketball and they have a spreadsheet and everything and uh we're still selling oh probably six to ten a month and we used to sell oh probably 50 60 a month but there there's two or three national teams use my system and and uh and like I said, it's been very good for us and I think analytics are becoming pretty big now in, in college and pro basketball and, and high school basketball. Yes, yeah. But in mine's fairly simple and it's uh, and the thing is the key thing is just learning how to use it properly and uh, and that's why I, I speak quite a few places and trying to help people with questions about the system, how to use it.
0: Yes, and I, I was one of those that bought it and I absolutely love it. Of course I, I use right. Huddle now. And Huddle's um see huddle. as well. Huddle's not bad, it's a pretty good system. I mean they yeah, do everything for see, you. They
1: they took my system, the VPS and
0: – yeah. I saw that, I uh, go, go, I go. It was my system I go, and
1: I, I actually called them it. and wonder why they didn't tell me they took it, you know, but I, I didn't get a patent on it or anything. So but they
0: there you yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you should have yeah. a commission. Yeah, no doubt you should be yeah. making some royalties, coach. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because I—that's one—that's that, what's funny. You say that I always look at our VPS. I mean, you sold yeah. me on it, Coach. I—I I mean, you know, it's been a long time since I bought it, and I—and I, and I still use it. But I noticed that on Huddle, we actually got Huddle this time in our program for the yeah. for the first time. So you feel like, uh, I, and I definitely agree, it's it's being objective, but there is some subjectivity. How much subjectivity? That means I test. Well, it- Here's, here's, here's the, the things that
1: are important. Like, if I send a kid in at the end of the game and, and uh, you know, I want him to foul three times, well, I'm going to give – I'm not going to, you know, hurt him. Uh, I'm going to give him three recoveries too because I ask him to foul. So you got to take those things in consideration. You don't know, want some kid to go in the game and and he's not playing because his value points are low, but he, he has to go in every game and foul at the end of the game three or four times, you know, and stuff. So you got you got to make a few decisions there. Uh, um you know, there's, you know, uh, like block shots, you know, a lot of times block a block shot isn't worth a darn if the guys put in the seats, but, uh, but also if he blocks three or four shots, he's probably changing three or four. Also, there's some kids that get a lot of steals, but they're overplaying all the time. You got to take that in consideration. If he's given, given up points at the other end by overplaying, you know, there's, those are subjective things you got to look at. And, uh, so, you know, and and I used to, if if it was uh, close between two kids, and uh you know, I'd go with maybe if everything else is equal, to the kid with the highest value points at times. And, but it's basically it's a it's more of a it's just a, a tool to use and to be able to sit down with kids and say, look, you if you'll if you'll get your shooting percentage up to forty percent, and and kind of show them where the shots should be and that kind of stuff, rather than thirty uh, percent, you'll be playing a lot of a lot of minutes you know and stuff but like i said about the real great player uh sometimes um he thinks he's doing really well and all of a sudden he finds out he's not playing and the kids are wondering "Well, gosh he he can beat us one and one and all that stuff but um it's a way to show a kid a lot of times that he, the reason he's not playing is because he's you know he's he's not shooting the ball right and stuff and and uh, that's a good way to sell the kids and, and sell him
0: yeah, I mean, you you need evidence. I mean, it has to be evidence based and that's that's what it is. Um coach, thank you for sharing. I do have this I just want to know really quick before you before you leave is would you take a player that has great technique before a player maybe that has great instincts and poor technique? Who who would you take? For? Well, I'll tell you what. I had a few I
1: mean, years ago. He- he was six, one kid Had 30 points against the university of Oregon. And he I put him to high post against his zone. He was just throwing, throwing stuff up every way possible. He was unbelievable. Uh, in our system, in our, our defense, he said, we kind of, we play the pack line defense, but he was a kid that I, I didn't, I didn't have him play any of the rules. I let him use his instinct and he'd, he'd get steals and stuff. And, and, uh, but, I did not want to take away from him what God gave him. You know, he had a great gift uh, instinct. It's stealing the ball. And so, you know, uh, so that, that that was an example. I, I think uh, when you ask me to take one or the other, it depends on the kid, uh, you know, and, and you know, he has to kind of fit in the system, but you got to be smart as a coach too, to, to, if you have somebody that's really special, uh, you give them some leeway and let them use their instinct.
0: Yeah, that's where, that's why you've won so many games. (laughs) I mean, that's where the great coaching comes in. It's those little things, those little, those little details that I think your great coaches like yourself know. I I just really feel that way, Coach. Thank you for sharing. Man, this has been awesome. I've learned so much. And and how can people get a hold of you? Uh, Because I know it's going to be a lot of my friends and coaches. I have a lot of listeners that want to contact you. How how can they contact Uh, you? Why don't you just give them? uh...
1: My phone number. That's fine. No problem. Or, or just. Or, what okay. All right. Just, how about this? Daniel. Miles at OIT. E-D-U. And things. And if we want to oh, talk okay. on the phone, just have them send the phone number. and We can get together. I do that quite a bit with coaches.
0: Okay. So you still have OIT. your email from yeah. OIT? Okay. Because I had the Cascade. Email. So I, I can, okay, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely uh, so change I'll that. I'll be
1: retiring this, uh, this year from there. So it'll be just the at Great, great.
0: Coach, thanks again. I appreciate it for taking okay, the time Kevin, out to uh, speak with. All right. Welcome, thanks, Coach. Much. Thank you. All oh, right. I know.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Joe's decision from Unleashed Potential. And you are now listening to the championship. Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado.